Hey, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're always very grateful for everyone who listens in on these conversations. We hope they're helpful. We released a special episode in the past few days about the Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe versus Wade. Really want to encourage you to take a listen and more than that, to go to the document that was released by Evangel Presbytery called Abortion in the Church. Read it, share it. Very, very helpful stuff. Listen, this is your time. You live in this time when our country is feeling the strain of very different positions, very different understandings about life and God and what we're all doing here. And it all comes down on this question of abortion and what is man. And so this document is important for you to read, to understand, to help other people to understand. So please read it and share it. Now, the conversation today is the second half of the conversation we released last Thursday. I titled that episode, How Should We Then Love? And we, we ended up spending a fair bit of time talking about social media and the way we use our technology to, to love one another or to not love one another. But th- this half of the conversation gets into some real nitty-gritty practical applications. So often, we as Christians are so busy signaling our side of an issue and less concerned about actually loving people. And that is the challenge of this episode, to to actually love people, regardless of where they're coming from. I have in the studio with me, Pastors Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. I want to go back and say say something about this trans issue. People listening probably think that to be a Christian means that you will know who are the good podcasters and who are the bad ones, who are the good content producers online, whether it's Instagram or whatever. And they signal, they virtue signal to each other based upon whether you're against or for the LGBTQ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now let's use that as an example. So you know that we've written a book which has been banned by Amazon. Mm-hmm. Knowing it's been banned by Amazon, people who haven't read it would assume that it's a book that is very similar to what popular social media types are doing who are Christian, which is mocking the LGBTQ. The book does not mock anybody except the straight heterosexual celebrities who are signaling to the politically correct people that they're on board with the project, even though they can't quite get themselves to accept homosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. So the, the real problem with the book is the book doesn't make anything easy for Christians because the book goes into what actually is involved in loving somebody tempted by same sex intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's a deep question. So I want to say this. If you're tempted to think that somebody that didn't let his little daughter look at chat, wanted the doors open, would prefer that if anything of substance is talked about, that it be on the phone rather than just emails, especially if it's a fight, 
would prefer that when people send the modern equivalent of a letter, which is an email, not mm -hmm. a text, mm -hmm. that they say dear and love, if in fact the person they're writing is dear and they do love, <laughs> because it really only takes about seven seconds, <laughs> you know, if they're tempted to think that what we really are is predictable people here, and so we're old fogies doing predictable old fogies things, let me say this. We went to testify at a meeting of our city council once a number of years ago, and it had to do with homosexuality, LBG2Qism, all right, which is, mm -hmm. you know, boring in our town because our town is about 20 years ahead of the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And in the grace of shame, we explain why that is. Start with the fact that the Kinsey reports in the 50s were written here. Start with the fact that it's the largest music school in the world, and it's filled with voices, opera people. Is it really uh, the largest music school in the world? Yeah, I'm pretty wow. sure. Wow. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's the largest. Yeah. And if it isn't, it's second. Yeah, it's very, very up yeah. there. I didn't say the best. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The hearing had a number of us testifying. After the hearing, one of the people who had stood, stood up and, and spoken in favor of the latest political correctness in the LGBT, so, you know, I don't know, they were having a, I forget what it was about, but it was LGBTQism. One of them was a man who had on a dress mm. or a skirt, stockings, a wig, very broad shoulders, a very clear Adam's apple and chin, yeah, uh, makeup, this was not a gay man getting his flame on. This was a transsexual. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was fascinating was everybody in that room, including the pro-LGBTQ city council people and the people that testified, everybody did their best to avoid this man. Hmm. Everyone, conservative and liberal, because he was garish. He was so out there. He was so intensively seeking the approval of everybody there for his outre mm -hmm. carriage and dress, all yeah. right, that it was like, it was just so gross yeah. and so appallingly vulnerable. Yeah. Now, I'm bringing that up to say that there are many Christians who, who would argue that when you're in such a public place and that man comes up to you and talks to you, you should say he mm. and him and not she and her, and that you should make a point of addressing them by their biological sex. Yeah. Okay. Yep. When I talked to him, I did not do that. I was polite and tried to cover up his nakedness by referring to him and treating him as if he were a woman. Okay? Okay. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, if you consume social media stuff mm -hmm. that's supposedly Christian, all you have to do is salute the flag of being opposed to the rainbow. 
Yeah. And everybody will inundate you with approvals because after all, social media of a Christian sort today only exists to marshal political movements. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't give a rip about that ugly, embarrassing, humiliated person mm-hmm. who's trying to get people to relate to him as a she. Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you're emotionally intelligent, and by that I mean if you're in touch with the vulnerability of that person and you love them, okay. you might very well refer to them as a she. And you might not just think about the fact that that's validating the error and the sin at the center of their existence, but you might think, you know, I'm going to be gracious in the presentation but then I'm going to talk to them about the very thing I've been gracious about and point out that this is destroying their soul. In other words, my point is, if you just consume social media and you're just on the internet and you play video games and and you go to a safe church where they just reassure you that you actually are right and everybody else is wrong, it doesn't do one thing about changing you into the kind of person the Apostle Paul and Jesus were. Which is Jesus is always flipping our preconceived notions of what he should say upside down because he sees the person. He deals with the hearts of the people. So, He's not just making signals to his disciples. <laughs> I whooped up on that. I wasn't going to give in to that. See, I see how I didn't speak yes, to that Samaritan yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what I think people would say is, okay, you, you're not loving the person if you are going along with their their sin and their wickedness. But what you're trying to say is actually you're not going to begin to love the person until what? You realize you have a choice. Mm, and if well, you don't have a choice, the reason you don't have a choice is you're busy virtue signaling to conservatives, being a part of political movement, being politically incorrect, mm-hmm. getting likes, getting laughter on Facebook. And you're, you're at the well with the woman, the Samaritan woman. And that's another thing, is that on Facebook and in those contexts, there isn't any anything that's real. There's no real danger. There isn't a real person you're looking well, at. Well, there will be people who show well, up and argue with you, and then you show on your Facebook, chops. Yes, but, but then you don't know them to love them. L- listen, I want to say this. In our world today, we have... We do not have pastors and elders and older women in the church teaching us how to love sinners. We don't have it because people are virtue signaling conservative as opposed to liberal. Mm. People are acting as if they they care, and and then they the the depth of their caring is I will not address them by their name. No, 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 no. And you talk to people who are opposing. The Rainbow Coalition, right? Yep, yep. And and the depth of their love is yelling over the top of the wall. Mm-hmm. No, no, we won't go. Yep. Nope, nope, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Well, <laughs> Jesus didn't do that except for the Pharisees. To the religious leaders, the yeah. pastors and elders who were yelling that the world was wrong and that they were superior. Now, I am not saying that a teacher should 
address a student in junior high school with their preferred sexuality. Because a teacher can take a stand for the sake of the school, Mm -hmm. for the sake of the culture. And his stand can be, and we have a man from our church who has done that, and it's still in the courts being processed. Mm -hmm. I'm not against somebody taking a conscientious stand on this, but that's not what's going on. And when you look at people, whether it's Al Moore endorsing homosexual identity, which he's done in the grace of shame, we document everything, Mm -hmm. or whether it's somebody who's like, I am opposed to LGBTQ. I will never address somebody by their pronoun of choice. I will, you know, I will make sure that I know, you know, regardless of who it is, what you know when you listen to them is that they have never loved a man or a woman tempted by homosexuality. Hmm. And you know it. Why? Because they don't have any ability of seeing where their choices are in terms of relationships with them, in terms of how to help the person fight their sin. It's either no relationship or compromise. Let me give you an example. There's a man I've known for many years, Mm -hmm. and I only know him virtually, all right? And he's come, he's visited, but We've talked on the phone a few times. When I see him crashing and burning, I'll try to make a personal contact with him. Well, he recently sent me about a book-length online piece about the, uh, the, the horrors of a man who was known to be essentially a reparative therapist back in the 80s and 90s. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. Focus on the family, Jim Dobson promoted him. Hmm. He fell into back into homosexuality, then came out. They all threw their weight behind him. He had groups around the country that were associated with him. And as I read this document, it was filled. It was done by a scholar, okay? And it was filled with direct quotes of testimony of what went on in his counseling to give people freedom from homosexual temptation. Okay. okay. And as I'm reading this, the first thing I think is this man is simply engaging in a vicarious thrill by having all these conversations with these men who are trying to leave mm. behind their homosexual temptation. I won't go into the details, but they were horrible. Mm-hmm. It was so clear this man was counseling for the sake of titillation yeah it was so clear that he was coming right up to the point of the actual physical acts and getting that out of it he had no freedom at all from his mm-hmm. homosexuality, and it went on page after page ten thousand words after ten thousand words mm-hmm. well this man who himself is tempted by homosexual desires had sent this to me because he thought i would be interested in the history you know, and he said, you know, I actually knew this man. So as I'm reading this, I realized I had said to him a couple of weeks ago, I'll read it eventually. So now I'm reading and I feel committed to reading. And I realized all of a sudden, no, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not going to keep reading this. This is horrible. And I should not be seeing these words on a page. Mm-hmm. Okay. All it is, is a record of what went on, you know, recordings that have been transcribed at the counseling sessions, you know, all this stuff. Then I think to myself, What's he reading it for? What is this man reading this for? 
So I called him up and I said, listen, I'm sorry. I can't keep my commitment. I'm not going to finish it. It is not, it is so horrible. The wickedness of this man and what he did to his clients and counselees is so awful. I can't bear to read it. And he's sort of talking and, you know, on and on. And then all of a sudden he says to me, well, so do you think that I should, that I, that I should be reading it? Huh. Yeah. And you said, no, no, (laughs) no. That is the content of spiritual care and work. You have to be able to put yourself in the body and mind of the people that you work with and love them. And yeah, all- but you're not you're talking about a man who is trying to fight his sin and uh, who would agree with you. You're not in other words you started by talking about someone who's demanding a man demanding that you refer to him as a she. And now I think you've switched though. It's not the, it doesn't seem like one is the same as the other. Well, you have to define the switch because I don't see it. What I'm trying to say is that love causes us to go in directions that are unpredictable. He thought that it would be helpful to me as someone who keeps close track on the church and homosexuality Mm -hmm. to know this particular bit of history, which is very important for understanding how the conservative church went over to the LGBTQism, okay? And so he was innocent in asking me to read it. I said I'd read it. Then I'm reading it. No, I'm not going to read this. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff involves thinking through how he could be tempted mm-hmm. by reading an account of the failure of a man, even though he wasn't there at the time that this man was abusing his clients, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm a heterosexual man. I should not be reading this with all this description of body parts mm-hmm. and all this stuff that goes on in this counseling sessions. What is the same between that and addressing this person at the hearing as a she instead of a he is that you're actually loving people, putting yourselves inside their temptations, their fears, their desires, and trying to think, what would God want me to do? You're not simply looking at what the sides are and choosing which side to stand on, you're dealing with people. And that's what's lost when people give themselves to social media. The only capacity they have is to signal the sides they're on. Can I say that, would it be safe to say, Tim, that you're not suggesting that everybody starts addressing trans transsexual people by their preferred pronoun? What you're saying is that in order to love people, you have to actually work through some real issues and and figure out what to say and is that correct or no well for one thing i would say you you have to begin by having a relationship with them and that's hard to do without i mean it is impossible to do through social yeah, media it would be quite another thing if the man was saying that he was a christian and that he was a member in good standing Okay, and that's absolutely true. That's a good point. It would be quite another thing, but it's not, you know, in the one sense, you have a fellow who's having you read something who is seeking Christ and calling himself a Christian. In the other sense, you have a man who's just a worldling and he's standing up and doing what worldlings do. 
Well, and you have a different. Yes, but the other the, where my mind goes is okay, but should you have a relationship with a transsexual? And I and I maybe that sounds hard-hearted and cold, but I think I think it's a question that's worth asking. Listen, is there a, is there a level of perversion that you shouldn't have anything to do with somebody? Well, that gets into questions of polity, because often you'll have people in the church that essentially excommunicate somebody else in the church, but without the elders or the older women of the church saying it. And you have to remind them that they can't dismiss another brother and sister in Christ mm -hmm. individually and claim that they're doing it because of the need to defend if their officers have do not have that person under discipline. In other words, we should be suspicious of our own excommunications. Mm -hmm. And by excommunication, I mean disfellowshipping. By disfellowshipping, I mean bitterness at mm -hmm. the Lord's table. Yeah. But I want to go back and mention about eight or ten years ago, we asked some men in our church to write a statement about how we were going to handle transsexualism because 10, 20 years ago, I, w I had been called by PCA churches asking how to handle somebody that showed up at your church presenting as a woman and really a man or presenting mm -hmm. as a man and really a woman. Yeah. And, and in some cases, they didn't find out right away. So we decided to adopt a statement and the statement was written, we will not allow anybody who is biologically a man to use the women's washroom. We will not allow anyone who is biologically a woman even if they've transitioned through the use of hormones to go on the men's retreat. And so it was just, pew, 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 pew. everything was clear. And of course, the reason that was done was because we felt that it was testifying to our commitment to truth, to repentance, to the law of God in this community, to not allow all this LGBTQism to corrupt our ability to relate to people according to how God made them. Right. All right. But when I read it, what I realized was there was absolutely no way we could live by these rules that were being put down on paper. And the reason was we would often not know whether it was a man or woman. Mm -hmm. We would have no clue. And so if a guy came in, shook my hand and said, listen, I'm a, I'm a man biologically, but a woman I present as a woman, and he pulled it off. You know, he was a good a real good dresser, a real good makeupper. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, what am I going to do as the pastor under this policy but tell him, well, you need to make sure that you use the men's washroom? Or a, a man who says, I'm a woman, but I identify as a man, so he's dressed in a suit. And I mean, we've had people like this in our church. They may be a woman biologically, originally, but they present as a man. Yeah, but once you know. Hold on. I'm saying I know. They introduce themselves to me or in a pastoral counseling session. They tell me. Mm -hmm. Well, then the policy requires me to say to them, please, do not use what? Do not use the men's washroom. Right. So you send a man into the woman's washroom. In other words, if our goal is to show one another that we don't walk more than 300 yards on the Sabbath, that we don't heal on the Sabbath, that we don't pick grain on the Sabbath, mm -hmm. that then the 
man is made for the Sabbath and not the Sabbath is made for man. And the Son of Man isn't Lord of the Sabbath. This is why Jesus was always flipping things upside down, because Jesus loved people and he went for the heart. Mm-hmm. But we want to look at the outward appearance. The only thing that makes us go for the heart is love. And the problem today is that we have lost our capacity to even think what we would want other people to do for us. We're all virtue signaling. We're all saluting flags. We're all taking positions. We're all showing our commitment to sides. And that ruins ministry. It ruins preaching. It ruins witnessing. It ruins evangelism. It ruins pastoral care. Because you can't just signal what side you're on and love people. Because people are a pile of complication and issues are a pile of complication. And what I'm saying is in the church today, we're lazy. We have not cultivated the ability to have emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. We entertain ourselves. We flatter one another. We scratch each other where we itch. We think that good pastors are entrepreneurs who are able to look at the style and able to smile and not make an ass of themselves in public functions. Mm -hmm. And everything is light. Everything is light. And then we think that because we're saluting the right side of the, the right flag, Mm-hmm. That that makes us Christian, that that makes us good witnesses, you know, that that makes us. But what it really does is it just keeps us safe and un- uh, doesn't put any requirement on us to love somebody that might be difficult to love. And loving sinners yeah. is incredibly difficult. Yeah. If I were to describe that conversation more from Sunday afternoon. I don't think people would believe the kinds of things that we had to talk about. Mm. I want to uh, ask about. I want to ask about emotional intelligence, just straight up. the The phrase itself, I dislike it because it's it's very antiseptic. It's very it's very sciency. Like I've seen articles or books talking about. You've got an IQ score, you know, intelligence quotient. Well, you know, what's someone's EQ score, emotional quotient or whatever. And so there's something about it that I dislike, but it's the best thing I know to refer to something that we've been talking about all this whole time, but that it, and, and that is sorely lacking in our relationships and our culture. What do you mean, Tim? What are you, what are you referring to when you talk about, when you use the phrase emotional intelligence? Are you frustrated because I didn't change directions or something? Or No, no, no. Okay. I'm feeling the, you know, you need a book. You have to write a book on how social media and technology and flattery kill love. Hmm. Because they kill it. And I know we didn't sell it in what we just said. And so that's discouraging to me because I think people think I can get my fix of social media all day, every day. I can play video games at night. I still know what relationships are. I don't, I'm not causing problems with my parents. I'm not. And people don't have the We're blinded to it. Yeah, people do not have the ability to see how immature they are. Mm -hmm. Well, where I was headed is, for for many years now, you've used the phrase engineer-ish to refer to somebody who lacks emotional intelligence and 
pardon us engineers listening to this. We love you too. <laughs> but um, what do you what do you mean when you're when you're talking about someone being an engineer or being engineer ish in this regard? Well, I'm talking about people, and it can be men, it can be women. The preponderance of them are men mm-hmm. who look at emotions and love as things to be taken for granted that aren't serious. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons they're tempted to think of emotions as not serious is that they can't do a diagram, they can't do an equation, yeah. they can't be right or wrong. And that's the whole point of what we've been saying. Mm. You get into uncharted territory where you know the charts don't show certain rock outcroppings and you might actually hit them. Well, an engineer's whole life is formulated upon the notion that he should never hit an outcropping of rock that wasn't charted. Mm-hmm. And so he has an expectation of being right. Yeah. And you can't love people if your expectation is you're going to be right. Well, why not? What do you mean? Well, another way to go at it, maybe Lucas would be, what would Romans 16 sound like if an engineer wrote it? I know. I was sitting here thinking of that. And what would have been left out? Mm-hmm. Or what would have put been put in? I to, think I think it ensure, just would have been. It would have been cut the whole the whole chapter. The whole chapter. <laughs> well, except for maybe bring my bring the yes. parchments. Yep, yep. And come before winter. <laughs> yeah, the few because it's harder to travel in the cold, or you know, I don't. Know. Yeah, which isn't in Romans. But oh, that, okay. That yeah. is one of his conclusions. An engineer would probably say that's not in Romans. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we talk about emotional intelligence what we're talking about is people who are willing to do the work of love to Hmm. do the work of love now people listening would say well i do the work of love right i'm very careful in how i talk i try not to hurt people and stuff like that no 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 that's not love love will hurt the people i mean the redefinition of love today is such that it is the absence of risk in mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. is is such a bastardization of love. Love never avoids the risks because love is thinking of eternity. Love is thinking of suicide, of death, of sodomy, of fornication, of divorce. Love is thinking of theft. Love is love is piercing the superficial shell of life today and seeing what's behind it because love loves the person that's actually there behind it and trying to pacify themselves into oblivion Mm. by partaking of video games and social media and fast food and this, that, and the other thing and the other thing. Mm -hmm. Fashion, ah, Quran. And so, That chapter is there because the Apostle Paul knows how hard it is for us to love one another in the church, and he knows that he's sending uh, Phoebe up to Rome on business that she needs them, and so he gives them all these commendations of her to grease the path of them being committed to her as he is committed to them. And why is he committed? Well, he's committed to those people because one of them, his mother, is Paul's mother. What does Paul mean? He's not saying she's his mother. She's saying, he's saying that he relates to her Mm. as a mother. Well, how does one relate to a mother? Well, I found this true that one time when I was about to hit the guardrail in an accident, I yelled, Mother! 
That's one way we relate to a mother. Mm-hmm. When we think we're going to die, we cry her name out. Mm-hmm. This is not engineerish. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is not social media. This is real life. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder whether part of God's discipline of us is causing us to kill our children mm-hmm. because we're under judgment, kill our parents when they're old because we're under judgment, kill our consciences, kill our passion. It's it's the blindness itself is is the part of the judgment. God's judgment is yeah. removing from us the capacity to love and to be mm-hmm. loved. I mean, we all know Thomas Wolfe wrote the essay "Hooking Up," and he said sex isn't interesting to anybody anymore because mm-hmm. everybody's been so so engaged in it so much that it's lost its drama, it's lost its passion. Well, ever since he wrote that essay, the most common word used by Christians to describe something they think they should desire is my passion, right? Right. So this is what I think about when I read in Matthew 24, Jesus says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Mm. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. That's... But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The, the, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, mm-hmm. and then the end will come. That cold love mm-hmm. i told the congregation the sermon sunday my dad had a phrase he'd refer to a man as a cold fish yeah yeah and it didn't occur to me for many years what a serious criticism of men that was on my father's part mm-hmm. they had no milk of human compassion mm-hmm. and our churches today are filled with men who think that they're pious because they never have emotions mm. and there could not be a better proof of their faithlessness mm. than the fact that nothing causes them joy, pain, or sorrow. Mm. And now we're redefining funerals in such a way that there's no sorrow even at funerals. Right. There's no body. There's no funeral. It's a celebration of life. There's no grieving. Hide it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, when you talk about emotional intelligence, it it presupposes a commitment to a life that is absent among moderns. It's absent. Mm. You know, why do we watch My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Well, because it's a culture that still has some (laughs) emotional life in it. And it's so entertaining after we've watched Hollywood for the last 50 years, Mm -hmm. you know? I've gotten to the point where I can't stand anything, anything made in America because Americans have lost the ability to know and to be known. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's interesting talking to my dad about this because he, he grew up in the Congo. He lives in the Congo a lot of the time now, Uh, a lot of time he's here now, but he spent a lot of time in the Congo. And so he's told me that, in his observation, the men there don't talk about emotions at all. And I think that helps explain a lot about the Congo. <laughs> you know, it doesn't commend them. You know, it doesn't, doesn't commend them. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of things about the Congolese culture that is superior, you could say, to the Americans and whatever. 
Um, but you know, it, it is an indication of lovelessness. It is an indication of lovelessness. Can I say two things? Number one, when I came back from Africa, it was fascinating how when I got to the U.S., and it was Zambia and uh, another time Rwanda, it was fascinating that my reaction coming back to the U.S. is that it was so poor and small. The U.S. was? Yeah. Why? Because in Africa, I don't know how to put it. There was life? There was life. Yeah, you have... It was not... You get the feeling in America that everybody is on opioids, whether or not they're on mm. opioids. Yeah, we're all drugged out. Everybody is mm -hmm. just satiated. Everybody is so weak, so superficial. Mm -hmm. I was on a trip with my family a while back, and we went to a place and rented some horses to ride. And if you've ever ridden on a stabled horse at a riding ranch you realize that you're getting on a creature that's been living in a, in a numb state, an unconscious state for, I don't know, who knows, 10 years. And my brothers, the, my older brothers, were raised in going to rodeos and you know barrel racing and that kind of stuff. And one of them got up on, on one of these horses and decided he wanted to have a semi-interesting ride so he stood up in the stirrups, leaned forward over the horse's head, and started batting the horse about the ears. <laughs> and the horse's head is going back and forth and back and forth as my brother is batting it about the ears. And, wow. and pretty soon, the horse semi woke up yeah. and was present and said, mm. hey, there's a person on my back mm -hmm. who's wants to engage with a trip with mm -hmm. me. That's not just luggage that I'm yeah. carrying. Mm -hmm. And then my brother rode the horse, right? Well, if you think about our culture, we're, we're all, Tim, you were talking about the state of things. We're all asleep. Mm -hmm. And the, the great uh, lie is, that we think we're somehow awake. Yeah, we're more awake. More awake, more awake yeah. than any any time before, when in fact, uh, what we all need is God's word and his law to bat us about the head for mm -hmm. a while till we realize what's at stake and the fact that we're all sleeping. Mm -hmm. Until we can wake up and actually receive something and have some change in our lives. One of the things I was thinking preparing for this podcast was the fact that that Romans 16, what nobody would ever say, but we know, is Romans 16 has had a whole bunch of conflict between the people he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And so Paul had had fights with these people and arguments with these people. There's no way he can be talking as affectionately and loving about people without having had a relationship. And the minute we have real relationships, we fight. What yeah, did we risk. do for an hour before we went on this <laughs> podcast? We had a knockdown, dragout fight. And <laughs> trying to figure out who was going to get bad about the head. Well, <laughs> and, and trying to figure out there's no way that you can have love without having conflict. That's right, that's right. That's exactly right. What you said, Max, is right on. You're scared, Pastor, about what you're gonna say, what's gonna happen if you preach God's law, 
and and help people see their sin. But what's going to happen is you're going to you at least you're going to have a live congregation. It's going to be a live one. Scared even if you preach Romans sixteen, yeah. and make the applications about life together that Tim's done in the in the past mm-hmm. few weeks. Because if you actually say those things, people are going to look at you. If they're not used to it, they're going to look at you and say, "What are you actually expecting out of us? Yeah, what yep. are you?" And if you're listening, on? if you're listening to this podcast and you think that that's because we're weird here, mm-hmm. you go to the historic commentaries. You read Haldane. You read Calvin. You read Henry, and you will see them making comments that no modern commentator makes mm-hmm. because they lived in a time. When there was life and death, there was sin and righteousness, there was sanctification, and there was apostasy. There was the Roman Catholic Church selling sacraments, mm-hmm. and there were the reformers. Were at stake. Everybody took stands for truth, and it wasn't just a question of choosing what posture you'll take and what brew you'll drink and stuff like that. Well, so I think getting off of social media or at least diminishing it to the point of you're barely using it is actually, I just want to say it's very helpful. Please do that. Most most people need to be told to get off of it. But what can you do if you realize that you yourself have a problem that you don't have emotional intelligence, or maybe you're scared of actual relationships, what would you say to someone to say, okay, I, I realize that's a problem. What do, I, what do I need to do to improve this? I'm, I'm afraid all the time of relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys still are afraid. <laughs> I'm, I'm regularly afraid of being vulnerable to people mm-hmm. and what they could do to me if I love them and mm-hmm. what they could do to me if I confided in them and et cetera and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I think finding a place where you, if you're talking to people, I, I was with my family at a family vacation a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I thought, how can I make this better? Mm-hmm. It's not bad. I mean, we put together puzzles and we eat good food and we look at the the, the beach and the, mm-hmm. the Great Lakes. And But I thought, how can I make this better? How can I be more connected to my family? Mm-hmm. And so I stopped for a minute and I... I got real brave and I tried to talk to them about my sins and my particular failures. You know, our family, my family, we're great at one-upping one another. We like to, we like to, we like to tell people, we like to tell one another how our experiences or our connections mm. or our whatever are better than, you know, so that we can look good to one another. You yeah, know? yeah. And so, but instead of doing that what i wanted to do is i wanted to tell them my sins yeah something and i'd say if you're gonna if you're wanting me to answer that question it would be look for an opportunity to be with some people that you know Mm -hmm. or a person you know try to do do a simple thing to actually say something substantive to them about your own sense of of fears about yourself or your own failures, mm-hmm. something that you you look at them and say, would you please, could you pray for me about this? Mm. Ask them to pray for you right then. Yeah. Say, you know, would you pray right now for me? Because mm-hmm. this is difficult and I need mm-hmm. help. And I think it it's a start. It's something. Yeah. It's yeah. an easy thing to do. You yeah. know, but it isn't easy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't you- cost much, but it costs a lot, you know. It's like- what would you say, Tim? Number one, read Gogol's Dead Souls. Gogol's Dead Souls, okay. Never heard of it. And I'm serious, read it, because that's who we are today. 
Mm. It's a metaphor. It's a parable. But it is, I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> okay. And it's not funny at all. Yeah. Number two, listen to the bookending. Mm. Um, I listened to a couple of episodes while driving down to South Carolina and back for the Evangel Presbytery meeting. And it is fascinating how books cause us to grow in our ability to have emotional intelligence and to see deeper things. That's right. Yep. Uh, number three, if you're a man and you're an engineer, try to read Elliot's Middlemarch. <laughs> it's okay. very big and long, but it's an extended discussion of what is in the mind of woman, and you really need to get better at knowing what the fears and hopes and dreams are of your wife and your daughters and your mother. Um, number four, ask questions of people and listen to their responses. Shut your mouth and follow up your question with another question mm -hmm. and then another question until you realize that the person talking to you is not the boring person you thought they were. Mm. Every person has fascinating insights and skills and things to contribute and you'll leave if you really will listen to people mm -hmm. you will leave the conversation praising god for his unbelievable diversity of his creation and that's people that's not even looking at flowers mm -hmm. and um give give your attention to other people give your attention to their work with men that's what i do mm -hmm. i always try to ask enough questions about their work that I begin to get interested. Mm -hmm. You know, I learn mm -hmm. things, you know. Yeah. So those are, but I would, I would end with the same one David did. Yeah, absolutely. We all have these times in small groups at church in the foyer with family reunions where we know that it's all about, you know, pissing on each other. Yeah. You know, you say competitive, but that's what we're doing. Well, I did it better than that. And I think if we will confess our sins, we'll say, well, I've noticed my wife, family of 10, every time the, the siblings get together, Mary Lee makes an ass of herself with all her brothers and sisters. I mean, literally, I have a movie on my phone right <laughs> now of Mary Lee telling a story about how she got lost. Every time they get together as a family, she tells a number of stories about how she's an idiot, and that's her role in the family. She's the idiot. But for the time she talks, <laughs> the whole family is happy because Mary Lee is doing a good job of playing her role. Yeah. And yeah. they're all enjoying it, laughing. And Mary Lee laughs at herself. Yeah. And it's one of the most delightful things about Mary Lee is that she loves to be the ass <laughs> and, and to have everybody laugh at her because she's willing to laugh at herself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, if you're in family reunions, humble yourself so that other people can finally be free to laugh. Mm -hmm. For my part, I'll say something very similar, actually, I think, and that is say what you actually think and then see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think for much of my life, I tried very hard to be protective about what I say. And I still do that, of course. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll recognize that if you talk to me. But I think that part of the reason for that is my unwillingness to disclose what's actually going on inside. And so it's a question of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that 
if you actually say what you think, you might be told you're an idiot and it might be true. <laughs> but it might not be true. But it might not be true. The joke might be on them. It might be on them. But but even if you are told you're an idiot, you'll actually learn. Whereas, uh, well, if you listen, like you were saying, if you listen to the response, you'll actually have the opportunity to learn. Whereas if you never actually say anything, you won't learn and you'll just be an idiot. And so... Well, my observation is that people that are actually far along in emotional intelligence are the ones who have been willing to be an idiot in front of other people for a long time or repeatedly or whatever, and they grow. They grow as a result. But if you refuse to do that, if you refuse to have the humility to say what you actually think, then um, with humility, I mean, you have to have humility. You can't just... Well, anyway, there's people who say what they think and who are just an ass, and that's to be avoided also. Yeah, if you want to have a good reputation, you will not be like the Apostle Paul, mm -hmm. because clearly there were celebrity Christians back then who just never stopped demeaning the Apostle Paul. Right. He was so out there loving, crying, kissing, telling people to kiss, mm -hmm. fighting, you know, and so the Apostle Paul was not ever safe. Right. He and was, you know the super apostles were supremely safe. Yep, yep. There's got to be risk and vulnerability with real relationships. Before you go, I want to remind you again about the abortion document, Abortion and the Church. Please read it, share it. It'll be very helpful to you. Don't skip over it. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.